What's up, you uncultured fuckheads? Welcome back to the Uncultured Cinematic Universe. Uh, each episode here, we take a look at classic and iconic films from two perspectives, that of the diehard fan and that of the uncultured, who's never seen this film before until now. We're your hosts, Justin and Joe, and today we'll be talking about the 1986 fantasy fever dream, Labyrinth. It's Labyrinth, baby. It's Just, Labyrinth time. This is going to be the first episode that we'll have to rate as E for explicit. Thanks a lot. It's very explicit. Oh, well, we do that all the time. doesn't matter. <laughs> Every single one of them. <laughs> Every single one of them. Uh, as a reminder, you can watch us on YouTube or listen to us wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the like. Just search for The Uncultured Cinematic Universe and check us out on Instagram at UCU Podcast. Uh, now, without further ado, let's shirk our babysitting responsibilities, make some weird puppet friends, and avoid the Goblin King's lustful pelvic gyrations and get into Labyrinth. This uh, this movie feels like an AI-compilated uh, amalgamation of every 80s trend ever, except for kids riding bicycles. Yeah, there, there was none of that. She should... Okay, so Sarah, Jennifer Connelly... Uh, her character, she should have ridden, ridden a bike home in the rain, and then yeah. it just would have been peak 1980s. So. I, God, I have so many thoughts on Sarah and Jennifer Connelly in this. Um, but first, it just it feels like it's been forever. Because it has. We've, we've kind of like, because May secretly has like five weeks in it, we kind of skipped a week, I think. And so it's been like three weeks or so since our Moonstruck episode. Tell, yep. me, tell me a little bit about our May miniseries. What are we doing? We are in May, as everyone knows, because we've been in it for 12 days at this point upon recording. Mm -hmm. uh, so what we decided to come up with months ago uh, is we wanted to dub this month Muppet Mayhem. Muppet Mayhem. And now I know this is a little copyright bit... Pending. Copyright pending. 100% pending. Litigation trials are, are awaiting. We because... cannot speak about trials that are ongoing. Yeah, don't even ask us. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is a Disney Plus show or whatever <laughs> called Muppet Mayhem, whatever. It's exploring, which is really cool. Like, I've always loved, like, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, like, band. So it's kind of an exploration on that band kind of what's, a thing. What's weird, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, I think the show is called Muppets Mayhem, which... Ooh, okay, so are we in the clear? Okay. Somehow? Like, why yeah. would they call it that? Yeah, so we actually may be in the clear. We could have just unlocked our, you know, that's our get freedom. out of jail free card. Yeah. yeah, there's no S. Yeah, definitely. I think I think I just walk into court and I just say like parody law, and I walk out, and then that's that's all we need to do. <laughs> yeah, drop the folder and say I'll see you late. I'll see you on the golf course, judge. Just say like, guys, it was a bit. Like, be cool. But yeah, so we wanted to talk, make this month all about Muppets, Muppet-centric movies. So things that circle around either uh, the the capital M Muppets, the gang, uh, Kermit and uh, Miss Piggy, Fozzie, Gonzo, the, that whole gang, mm -hmm. or anything to do with Jim Henson and Jim Henson's Creature Shop. Just Muppets as a concept. Can I tell you something mm -hmm. super embarrassing? Tell me. So it's the end of the week right now, uh, and I went to the office today, and I was driving home from work. I have like an hour and a half commute, and like on the way home is maybe the first time in my life I've made the connection between Muppet and Puppet. Like that's why they're called Muppets. 
Joe. What I'm is the M for? I thought I legitimately thought it was just like a fun word that they came up with. <laughs> right. And I love I wanted to I wish I could have seen your face when the light bulb hit of just is like, it like <gasps> many puppets. That's what the Muppets are. So it's actually hotly contested. Um, Jim Henson has been on record, but he has since or he like he like recanted a couple times or something like that. I don't know. But the leading prevailing theory is it is a I don't know what what the the grammatical word is when you mush two words together uh-huh. but it is one of those of the portmanteau portmanteau Whatever. yeah of puppet and marionette oh. right? that's what the m stands for because it is a puppet of sorts but there's also like marionette kind of controls like with the they, hands they and do the little stuff. sticks and stuff yeah yeah so like it makes sense but you know it, it's it's contested i i looked it up the other day i was just like oh that actually might not be true Weird. It's definitely biased more towards the puppet side of things, but like it sounds better than Marion Uppet, so like I I guess that makes sense. Yeah, right. But yeah, that's that's the whole thing. I love that you, that you had that existential kind of like, oh my god, that's what I almost crashed my car. <laughs> I almost killed somebody today <laughs> because of Labyrinth. Because of Labyrinth and David Bowie and the magic that he instilled in that film. Okay, so <clears throat> bringing it back around to this movie. Labyrinth, this was my choice. Joe had never seen Labyrinth before in his never entire before. existence. What is your uh, familiarity with it? Right, right, right. This is this is kind of our, our standard question that we ask every episode. Um, so where I'm coming into Labyrinth from, obviously I'm aware of Jennifer Connelly. This is kind of her first, if not one of her first roles. I believe so. Um yeah. Obviously, I'm aware of Bowie Bulge um, and that (laughs) this was kind of like Bowie's concert movie in the way like uh, Prince did Purple Rain and stuff. It's just like it's it's like a Bowie jukebox musical. We talk about like Mm. jukebox musicals, even though the songs are originals, right? Like he's just he's writing songs for the movie, right? He wrote five original songs for Mm -hmm. this movie. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I, I know about the Muppet aspect of it like i know this is like this and dark crystal kind of sit in the same place in my mind i've never actually seen dark crystal either so Mm. i might like follow up on that as a little chaser yeah but like they're made by the same people correct that that's all henson right correct yes it's all under the henson umbrella muppet umbrella creature shop that kind of stuff so actually so um dark crystal came out in 1982 Mm -hmm. and this came out four years later um, they do very much feel like related type of films, brother, sister kind of films, but dark crystal, you know, be warned is like weirder, darker, Ow. spookier in a sense. It's so this one is obviously like led by a pop star and it's like a girl protagonist and all this kind of stuff who gets into all kinds of wacky adventures. Um, there dark crystal is a little bit more of like a narrative and very feels way more fantasy, even though so, Labyrinth is fantasy. So if this was Dark Crystal, we'd kind of be thinking, oh, God, this baby might die, die. Yeah, like there there are actual consequences. <laughs> might be one death, of those yeah. movies. Yeah, one of those. But, um, but yeah, so, I am never once worried for the baby in this movie. <laughs> although, you know, you get towards the end and you're like, that baby could just fall off that ledge. And this baby this has plot armor thicker than the wall of China. Like <laughs> I... I, I don't know what to say. Not even worried about it. Like, it's not even, why is she even chasing after him? She'll know he'll be fine. 
Right. So I, I knew about like the the older sister baby brother dynamic and she's kind of like going uh she's going to get the baby in the labyrinth. You know, it's it's very willow, it's very baby centric. Um I didn't know other than that like what the story was or what like, you know, the labyrinth was. I I'd, I'd never really seen much of that. And I I mean I'll, I'll get into my thoughts about the movie. I want to hear about like your history with the film, but like yeah. I have some thoughts on like the pros and cons of this being such a straightforward story in a way. I think I texted you something like that while I was <laughs> yeah. watching it. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll get into it. Tell me, tell me about your history with Labyrinth here. Yeah. So uh, I didn't see this one till way later in life. There's a ton of people who grew up with this movie, and I wasn't one of them. Were you alive when this came out? No. So this came out the year prior to my birth, 1986, but I was born in 1987. You mean like 1989? In the 1900s. Fuck you. Old man. You old bitch. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so I didn't grow up with it like a ton of people, but um, I did see it like later, post-college, that kind of stuff, early adulthood, Mm -hmm. and I was like, Oh, I can kind of see how this would be some of the corner, like a cornerstone for some people mm-hmm. of like just like 80s righteous movies, those kinds of things. Like mine, mine were more of like when I think of the the childhood movies that I grew up on that were very 80s centric. I think of, um, you know, like Star Wars and uh, like Short Circuit for some reason is coming into my brain. Ooh, wow. uh, Terminator to or Terminator uh, and just like all these weird movies. But um I, I had a weird yeah all these indie movies like Star Wars and Terminator. I had a weird upbringing where I, I was watching movies that I definitely probably shouldn't have been. Um, but yeah, so like I didn't grow up with this one, but I can kind of see the appreciation for it and the connection made to it. But um, my other kind of angle into this movie was just more about the theme of the month of just like Muppets in general. Mm-hmm. So we can chat about that too. Of like my. I- Initial reaction and understanding and memory of Muppets. Yeah, that's what I that's what I wanted to get into. I wanted to there's two things I wanted to touch on, just like the story structure of this movie. And we can talk about it like as a movie. And then I just want to dive face first into just like Muppetville. Like, yeah, let's let's talk Muppet. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So we'll we'll keep it. We'll keep it in the in the reins. Um, But but yeah, so I saw it later in life. Loved it. You know, I was like, oh, man, that would have been so cool to kind of like grow up with this movie, like with the music and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Like I got more I had more. um, I don't know, more more people centric kind of movies and stuff like that. Like I remember Muppets, but like I don't remember watching a ton of Muppet movies growing up. Yeah, I I mean, spoiler alert for our next episode, but I tended to be more on the side of like the actual Muppet movies, mm-hmm. like with like Kermit and company, as opposed to like Henson uh, films that are more, I'm, I'm calling it like, oh God, I had something in my notes about what I'm calling it, like ugly, creepy, dirty puppet technology <laughs> as opposed to like Muppet, capital M Muppet technology. Like bright colors and the silly, yeah, like this. Yeah, this is more like terrifying stuff. It really is. Like a lot of the stuff, I, every single time I've watched this movie, especially the first time, I was just like, oh man, as a kid, this could go one of two ways where you yeah. either lean in hard to it and you're like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. Or I'm terrified because the first scene where you see just like the gaggle of all the goblins 
it's kind of scary. It's kind of scary. Where are they in her room? Are do they even exist in this reality? And then they're kind of hiding from her. Like it's funny, but kind of scary. Yeah, like so akin to that. Like I remember, you know, watching Fraggle Rock, and I know you're unfamiliar with the Fraggles and all of them, but it was also a Jim Henson Henson Company kind of thing, and it was adjacent. It was in the mid to late '80s TV show. Mm-hmm. but it was, you know, like it was underground, it was in caves, but they were still like friendly and silly. And it was more like, these are the lessons to be learned, that kind of thing. But so yeah. Fraggle Rock, was that like Sesame Street competitor or was it not trying to be like as straight up educational? It was not straight up educational of like letters and numbers and stuff like that. There is like narrative structure, there is mm-hmm. characters and there's growth and arcs and stuff like that. And it's more of just like, you know, the, the lesson that you take away from, you know, the main character being afraid of heights is just like, you got to conquer your fears and face it head on. Those are the kinds of things. Henson right? really had like the monopoly on this shit in the 80s and 90s, didn't he? Jim Henson was, I don't know, a renaissance man, mm-hmm. uh, um, a man for the ages, for the kids, for the sheer sake of entertainment. The, the crazy amount of creativity in that man's mind is is mind blowing. Yeah. But um. All right, so we reeling it back in. My first exposure to this movie was my roommate in college. He grew up with this movie. He was one of those that loved it, but he was kind of like... He was a big old freak. Big old freak, right? He, he was actually very tall, yes. Um, but he, he had the thing where he misremembered Jareth's name because they only say it a couple times. Like David Bowie's character is Jareth, the Goblin King. They only say it like five times. But he misremembered it uh, uh, as Yarlith for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, he he remembered the songs and you know watching it a ton growing up. But I, I thought that was fun. Um, but yeah, I, I was like like Jerry or something or Garrett. <laughs> Jer- Jerry. <laughs> oh Jerry! All right, David Bowie, you come in here. You're this enigmatic sexual creative powerhouse. We want you to play Jerry the Goblin King. <laughs> David Bowie's like, I have a couple questions. <laughs> yeah. A few concerns. Yeah, like oh. that that movie would be terrible. I Jerry the Goblin. The movie about the making of this movie. So I do have the DVD, and there is this really cool behind-the-scenes, like, making of. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube, but it's really cool. It's one of those typical, uh, like, making of, behind-the-scenes kind of thing. Of uh-huh. I'm sure you've seen, like, Muppets, like, on set, you know, like, the reality yeah. of like it's like sunken sets so it there's feels, a ton of people under you know it feels very like you can tell like this is the 10 to 20 years preceding like weta workshop like lord of the rings stuff where Definitely. they really kind of like took the reins of that very practical very mm-hmm. um you know hands-on all that kind of stuff uh but yeah so we'll circle back around to my connection to bowie we'll do a whole bowie section mm, but maybe. um yeah, so let's let's take it back to the top and look at some of the overview of this movie. We'll get some numbers and some facts and figures and things, and we'll go through there. Lay it Sound on. good? Yeah, so this movie was released June 27th, 1986, directed by the one and only Jim Henson of Muppet Show, Sesame Street, Muppet Mastermind that we already talked about, um, starring David Bowie, of course. And this is a fun little note that I put in here. So this is another string connection. You know, all of the episodes that we do are strangely connected. I love connecting our episodes. So David Bowie had a song on Moulin Rouge. 
he had he had the opening song nature boy oh on the soundtrack like a david bowie song that they took and like had john leguizamo sing it yeah but on the soundtrack it is but it is bowie he's he's doing it that's his voice so like incredible right love the connections these are these are amazing this is why we do this uh and a young jennifer conley 16 at the time yes very young jennifer conley very young uh Budget of $25 million. Can you guess how it did at the box office, Joe? I do know from like my scanning of notes uh, before this episode that it didn't do great. It did not. Uh, only made $34 million at the box office. Trash. Global. It, it, it did um, pretty good overseas, but not great here. Uh, but again, it found later success, like a lot of the movies of uh, through VHS and TV broadcasts, cementing it in this cult status, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, you know we can't talk we can't talk about this movie without talking about the puppeteers and the general puppeteering that brought a lot of the characters to life. Um, the sheer amount of people just is insane, is staggering. Mm-hmm. Um, but a few call outs here: Brian Henson, Jim Henson's son. Uh, was involved a, a lot. This is where he cut, started to get a lot of his exposure on it. He um, puppeteered Hoggle mm-hmm. along with like three other people. Hoggle was the most complicated Muppet because his face mechanisms were radio controlled. Terrifying. Off, like behind camera by Brian Henson and Brian Henson was doing his voice via, you know, like wild stuff, right? There's um, there's moments when Hoggle is like sprinting and you see his full body and he's kind of like running a centimeter above the floor and you're I, I I'm wondering how they did that like are there strings that we're just not seeing? No, fact is Jennifer Connelly holding him up the whole time and like <laughs> there's an actual person there is uh, there's a uh, person there's a person like with the body that has the giant head just like sitting on top of like their shoulders right. and that. And then there's like a couple other like radio controlled like hands and other stuff like that. Um, just just wild things. And obviously this this is really cool because this paves the way for the Ninja Turtles movies that followed in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, those were also Jim Henson, Creature Shop uh, stuff. But like radio controlled face like insane, you know, machinations to make right. the eyebrows and eyes move and just like wild things like that. Right. It's all like very like mechanical stuff with like skin covering so you yeah. can kind of see how the joints move beneath that uh softer cover yeah it, it is like robot nightmare porn fuel like it's it's insane yeah um but yeah so brian henson of course uh david goals uh he is a historic one of the longest performing muppet um puppeteers mm-hmm. in in the history of since the early 70s uh, of the Muppets. He's done Gonzo, Dr. Bunsen, uh, uh, Waldorf. Uh, but in this movie, he did Sir Didymus, one of the four guards, a door knocker, the bird hat that's on top of the old guy. I love like, that. So silly, right? Uh, Kevin Clash is another one. Now, do you know the name Kevin Clash? I don't. Kevin Clash is most famous for being the voice of Elmo. From oh Sesame my Street. God! Like to this day, or did they like switch over? They replaced him in 2012 or something like that. Amid like controversy, he had to step down. Oh but um, God. but uh, yeah, Kevin Clash brought Elmo to life. Does uh, okay? You probably know Sesame Street um, history better than I have, better than I do, just on account of having 
famously a baby. Um, who's one and a half years old, by the way. Who's one and a half no. years old. Always a baby. Um, is Elmo kind of a later addition to Sesame Street? How long has Elmo been around? Elmo showed up in the early 90s. Okay. Yeah, so he's relatively new. Like, and Sesame he, Street started in, like, 78, I think. He became a breakout, like, pretty quickly. Pretty right? quickly. He started getting, like, top billing, leading episodes, and getting his own segments and stuff like that pretty early on. He had a yeah. cocaine issue in the early 2000s, but they... Oh, we don't talk about that. Yeah. Really quick. Yeah, we don't bring it up. We don't even talk about it or mm-hmm. look him in the eye. Don't even say words that start with the letter C around him. because Elmo doesn't joke about the C word. Yeah. He does not. Um, But yeah, so Kevin Clash, you know, is a a prolific, iconic kind of Muppeteer uh, along the way. And then, of course, Frank Oz, which, again, is another fucking connection because he directed Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, my God. Joe, this never stops being fun. Obviously, I was thinking about Little Shop of Horrors while watching this. I think you're kind of on a kick of like musical plus uh, impressive... uh, physical puppetry uh thinking about audrey 2 in little shop of horrors compared to uh you know like the actual people within the suits um uh in this movie so you have hoggle you have what's the what's the larger creature's name judo ludo 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 um yeah so it's it's it is there's similarities there, but it's also uh, an evolution, a different thing to talk about because there's like the presence of actual human beings within these costumes and how like the mechanics have to work around that as well. Yeah, yeah, super cool stuff, right? Uh, it's it is truly a feat to look at. You know, this this last time around, you know, I was talking to Ryan of just like this is insane from just like a technological, not even a technological standpoint, but like a physical standpoint of just the sheer amount of people. And like insane groundbreaking stuff that they're able to do, which is just so immersive. Like Mm -hmm. you could do this, you know, in CGI or whatever, and it just wouldn't feel the same. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's, there's a ton of examples we'll bring out a little bit later, but before we get too much deeper, and I know you want to, we want to dive into the Bowie of it all. We want to dive into the Muppets of it all and all that kind of stuff. But let's, let's, take a, a veer this way and let's watch this trailer i haven't watched it yet i'm so excited i love 80s trailers these are great so let's let's do this tristar pictures announces the collaboration of three extraordinary talents jim henson creator of the muppets and dark crystal <laughs> where you go with a head like that hmm? george lucas creator of the star wars saga the most innovative forces in modern entertainment, <laughs> David Bowie. <laughs> Together, they will take you into a dazzling world of fantasy and adventure. There's nothing to be afraid of. A world where anything seems possible and nothing is what it seems. Everything I've done, I've done for you. I move the stars for no one. The world of Labyrinth. Uh, 
Fucking dope, right? I love the motif of text within a maze. Uh, yeah. You can barely spell it out. Ah, so great. Yeah. Uh, um, obviously, Christopher Nolan ripped that off for his trailer for Inception. <laughs> yeah. He got sued by the Labyrinth folks. Um, yeah. We didn't even talk about the Lucas of it all, which I didn't yeah. even realize until, uh, well, I guess I saw it in like the very long opening credits to this movie. Um, <laughs> but like thinking about George Lucas being the connection here, you kind of realize like Star Wars, the original Star Wars was kind of in the same vein as this movie in terms of just like, you know, physical uh, puppetry effects. Uh, obviously, they had a little bit more of the uh, CGI when it came to like the actual space. But Star Wars is kind of the one that hit the most with the public. And that's why we have 18 sequels uh, 40 years later. You know, like Labyrinth could have been that, you know? Sure. Yeah. Like, so that's like the interesting kind of like split and dichotomy among just like nerds, period. Mm -hmm. um, you can either go like space, <laughs> right? Or you go fantasy. Yeah, it's sci-fi versus fantasy. Yeah, which is this. Yeah, it's it's hundred percent sci-fi or fantasy, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, like this could have turned into a franchise uh, easily, right? You could you could easily have the rise of Jareth, you know, oh twenty God. years later, right? With uh, like Harry Styles playing a young Jareth backstory. I would love it. Like, how did he get to be the Goblin King? You know, wow. there's like two goblins in the background who are gay. <laughs> <laughs> and then like the trailer is like a slow down version of two princes <laughs> by the spin doctors because like before he was goblin king he was goblin prince you know like, i would fucking love that oh that's so great yeah um so they they really kind of sum it up in the trailer that you have you know the the henson uh bit you have the lucas bit uh bringing in that that star wars oomph uh to give it some publicity there and then yeah. obviously you have the leading uh actor here being uh david bowie because jennifer connelly wasn't even a name at that point correct no i don't think she was but yeah they so george lucas played a bigger role than I like gave him credit for. I was like, oh, he's an executive producer, which is really you're just the person who's throwing money at it, or mm -hmm. you're just making hand connections, handshakes, and that kind of stuff. But him and Jim, uh, him and Jim, mm -hmm. George Lucas and Jim Henson were actually like colleagues and good friends and um, that kind of stuff. Like all the way up to Jim Henson's death in, in 1990, you know, they were or whatever it was, um, they they stayed in real good contact. So. This one thing uh, I had to look up and, you know, prove wrong to myself. I was certain, mm -hmm. certain that the Star Wars universe, uh, you know, Venn diagrammed with the Muppets in some like, way. Like the I, Muppets were in Star Wars? Like I could have sworn that like Yoda was a creature from Jim Henson's creature shop or something like that. But he wasn't. Often mistaken, thinking that like he was the only connection there is that Frank Oz puppeted him and did the voice. I um, yeah, I get Frank Oz and Jim Henson mixed up all the time because I don't Frank, know who's like doing puppeting, who's doing voices, who's doing directing. They both did. They did both, honestly. But Jim Henson was like the the leading kind of guy, and it's not quite like a Wozniak and Jobs kind of a thing. <laughs> um, they were both just like they were equals, but like Jim Henson kind of just birthed it all into the world frank oz was his number two what uh you know um okay. uh, throughout all the all the things but yeah i, I could have sworn like 
the 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 wampa and all this kind of stuff from like the uh, 82 and 82 uh wait 1980 and 84 films empire strikes back and return of the jedi the even like the fucking uh, ewoks or whatever those were all like muppet related mm-hmm. um, because they kind of feel like it because it was about the same time but it really wasn't well they they probably all talked like they they, they definitely were all aware did. of each other's work so so labyrinth comes out after return of the jedi yep so this is completely after the full original Star Wars trilogy. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, like I said, you know, Jim Henson directed this, and uh, George Lucas played a big role in this, mainly in the editing mm-hmm. of of the movie. Him and Jim, him and Jim went back and forth a lot. Uh, uh, George Lucas was a little more focused on like action and less dialogue. Mm-hmm. You know, to kind of keep the movie, the the scene moving and that kind of stuff. And Jim was a little bit of the opposite. You know, he liked to let the scene breathe a little bit more, have a little bit more dialogue and breathing room, a little bit more naturalistic. So there was a neat kind of give and take um, between the two to kind of make the final cut of the film, which is really cool. It's kind of nice that George Lucas makes like a billion dollars on Star Wars and then like turns back to his his colleagues and is like, let's let's see what else we can do with this puppetry technology. George CGI, the future is puppets. So George Lucas actually approached Jim Henson when he was making Empire Strikes Back and was like, Hey, do you wanna do you wanna work with me on this? You wanna like help me make a puppet or whatever? I mean it makes sense. And he was like, you know what, I'm really busy right now. I got a whole thing. But you know, you know who is great? Frank. Frank Oz is great. And that's when Frank was like, Yeah, I can I can fucking do that. What do you want me to make? He's the little guy and he sound he talks backwards. Hilarious. This is I'm great. In. This is this is film history. I would I would absolutely read a book or watch like an informative YouTube video about like <laughs> the different like iconic Muppets and just puppet characters and like the schooling you have to have to operate them. Like what are the rules around Beaker versus Bunsen stuff like that? What's the rules with Yoda? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah does like he, the- does he never like walk this speed or like does he always have to be hunched over? Like what 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 are what's the What's the blueprint for each of these puppets? The thing I think about a lot, and what you're talking about is like the character Bible, you know, like mm, what are the yes. truths and givens and that kind of stuff. But a thing that like I get into now that I watch Sesame Street it, literally every day <laughs> with my daughter for an hour long, an hour at each time. It's your newborn baby. Yes. Um, so we watch Sesame Street a lot. Um, just the sheer mechanics, uh, because a lot of the time, some of the Muppets aren't just like one person doing the mouth and the hands. Sometimes there's like two or three people and it's like a like full grown adults crammed together. One's uh-huh. like this with his arm up the whole time. So you're like all up in his armpit. Oh my and God, then the blood flow there. You know what? It's it's a common thing among uh, longtime Muppets, Muppeteers or whatever. You know, uh, a lot of shoulder injuries and things, a lot of hip injuries. That makes sense. Because uh, you're having to stand on your feet all day and have your arm up like that. Uh, all the blood's gone. You know, it's like crazy. it's like the the gaffer people or like the the sound people who have to oh, yeah. constantly hold that that sound mic. Yeah, but they, they got jacked shoulders though. You know, yeah. like I, I know you're a shoulder guy, so it's like boom. They're like Terminator. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, cool. So let's let's all, let's take another detour, Joe. I'm Enjoy gonna me. I'm gonna give you a minute on the clock. Are you ready? This is what I was afraid of because like I am like. I am down to talk, but when it comes to remembering the finer details of this movie, I'm about to babble. You know what? Babble along. Uh, uncultured Cinematic use, you know, Universe brought to you by Babble.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, reach out if, if you want to uh, hook up Babble. 
team up. That's Atlassian. <laughs> That's different. Also Atlassian, if you want to team up. Yeah. All right, Joe, are you ready? We're gonna you're gonna give me the plot in a minute of okay. Labyrinth. You ready? Okay. Here we go. When you mark it, set, go. Okay, Jennifer Connelly plays a girl named Sarah who has a younger half-brother who's like a baby who she's really annoyed with. She just wants to escape into her own fantasy world of books and stuff and doesn't really want to babysit him. She makes a wish that the Goblin King, very specific, will take him away. Um, and it turns out the Goblin King is real, and he appears, and he's David Bowie, and he does take her brother away. She immediately regrets, and she... Um, asks to see him and asks for her brother back and he says no you have to make it through this labyrinth in 13 hours in order to get your brother back and he fully uh, intends her to get lost in the labyrinth so she goes into this labyrinth which is, which is huge and confusing and she meets a bunch of friends along the way uh, and kind of learns lessons but also kind of doesn't this is going to be something I talk about later <laughs> um, and uh, this all culminates in her getting to the center of the labyrinth with no time to spare uh, and she kind of like faces her fears and uh, tells the Goblin King that he has no power over her and she gets her brother back and becomes a better older sibling in the meantime dude you nailed it that, that is exactly nice. it you nailed it nothing to worry about i was so worried i was gonna get bogged down in the fucking like one of them can lie one of them can tell the truth thing <laughs> i was really worried about that too of like describing like hoggle's is, features <laughs> i can never figure it out like the only one of us uh one of us only tells the truth one of us only lies thing and i've heard it in like multiple iterations and multiple stories it, um, it never I, makes sense to me. My brain stops like one step uh, away from the ending, and I I can't get past it. Yeah, I'm so mad. By the time she's like, I figured it out. I was like, No, you fucking didn't. You don't okay. know. Okay, okay. This is this is kind of my 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 point with this movie. So I want to talk about the story and just like the structure of it as a movie before we get into Muppet Land. So okay. yeah, let's do so that. we we are introduced to Jennifer Connelly, um, who. God love her. She's a beginning actress in this. She's, She's a theater kid. He know? has not won her Oscar yet. Um, a Beautiful Mind has not happened. Um, and she's she's got like a very earnest vibe. She's kind of like a, a petulant 15, 16 year old in the 80s. And it's 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 all very 80s. It's all kind of heightened. She's got a stepmother who she hates there. There's probably like right. weird jello and mayonnaise in the fridge. Um, <laughs> like... Um, she, she hates her brother. She has a bunch of like fantasy dolls. That was one point that I thought was interesting coming, looking at it from like a 2023 perspective. There's certain things about this movie that I think would like drastically change if it was made today. I'm not talking about like effects or budget or anything like that. Yeah. Just with the story. It, I felt like it would have made more sense for her to like not be into fantasy so that it's like more. Um, more of like a fish out of water situation when she finally does fall into this fantasy world and she kind of has to like figure out her bearings. Yeah. But like right off the bat, we're introduced to her basically as like a cosplayer in the middle of a field reading like fantasy books and like acting out lines by herself. Yeah. Uh, she has no friends as far as we know. She has a dog. Um, and then she, she, she still has dolls and stuff in her room. You yeah. Know, she, she's still like, she exists in this weird bubble. She's a hundred percent, uh, not a girl, but not yet a woman. You yes, know what I mean? Yes, she's very much in that in-between phase, and I think this movie kind of explores that. Yeah, um, it definitely does. This is what I texted you. I appreciated how quickly she ends up in the labyrinth. It feels like the movie starts, and five minutes later, she's talking to David Bowie, and he's like, you have 13 hours to rescue your baby. 
brother before he is full on goblin. Dude, that was the eighties. That's yeah. that's like we got to get into the action. The that's cocaine's the gonna wear off. That's the thing. There's no like. It, if this took place uh, in 2023, it'd be a Netflix series. There'd be two episodes of build-up before you even see the labyrinth. It'd be annoying. Um, 100%. You're absolutely right. You see her parents for a good five seconds. Um, she almost immediately wishes her baby brother out of existence when she has to babysit him one time. Um, she yeah. lives in a rather nice house, and she's like, this is hell, child abuse. <laughs> I um, know. She's so over the top. It's like, it's not fair. You guys do this all the time. And they're like, well, dude, we rarely leave the house. What do you ask? What are you doing? It's totally fine. It feels a little, even for 80 standards, here's my gripe here. It feels a little quick and hurried uh those are similar words um like you don't really get as much of her character or her motivation or even like why she needs to change she's kind of just like a shitty kid and then by the end of it she's somewhat not and i think that's fine because the focus of this movie is more bowie it's more like the technical aspect but she's still the protagonist and so where my gripe came in is I like the labyrinth. Give me labyrinth. Five minutes in, we're in labyrinth. Hell yeah. I, I, I want the whole movie to be labyrinth. I want labyrinth, labyrinth, labyrinth. I love labyrinth as a concept. You would expect her to, like, with the first hurdle that she comes across, where, like, she can't really get into the labyrinth to begin with. Like, she can't find a door. You'd expect her to kind of, like, build on what she learns and, like, use that in the next thing. And, like, towards the end, she kind of defeats uh jareth the goblin king with like all that she's learned and that doesn't really happen at least from my perspective she kind of almost she definitely like makes friends and like somewhat with the power of friendship gets through this but she also kind of 50 percent stumbles through this until she gets to the to the middle of the labyrinth i yeah. felt There's... like it, it kind of just like it's supposed to be this impossible labyrinth, and then she walks for 13 hours and kind of gets there. And then she just gets there right in time, you know? Like, um, <laughs> I, I wanted a little, and again, maybe this is like thinking of it from like having 40 more years of movie experience past this movie, but like I, I wanted more of like a, a, a solid like build up towards the end rather than what was maybe more of the vibe in the 80s, which was just like, vibes you yeah, know get to get to set piece a to set piece b to c to plot yeah. point d that those are 100 percent. those are the move points but there are little bits throughout that that you get because so like like you said it starts out and she's just like a typical shitty petulant teenager mm -hmm. making mountains out of molehills of just like dude we need to we need to go out too we'll be back at midnight like it's not that bad. Like you like you said, like this is a great house. It's not mm -hmm. that bad. We put him to sleep already. Like, how hard is your job? You have your own room. Yeah. So like, thank you very much, you know. Um, sorry for existing, you know, Seriously. and you're perfect. You know. So there's there's some things in there, and David Bowie mentions that a couple times when they kind of cross paths throughout of just like it's not fair. She's mm -hmm. that's like one of her first lines as soon as her parents are like, hey, can you be, watch the kid? And she's like, it's not fair. That's one of the things that that is a big theme that keeps hit over her over the head, you know, multiple times throughout the point throughout the film. You know, she can't quite find the door and she's like, it just keeps going. It's not fair. Mm -hmm. But then she does kind of eventually that's generally the main lesson she needs to learn 
of um, it's it's a growing up tale as well as just like understanding that like life isn't fair, you know, like that kind of thing. Things aren't always going to go your way. And then, you know, the obviously the thing of just like letting go of the past, but it's like it's okay to have nostalgia for the things that comfort you, all that kind of stuff. I think I think there's strong points in this movie that stand out from like the gripes that I have. Like I think I like how the movie like spends time on her relationship with Hoggle, who's kind of the first uh character that she meets besides David Bowie, who kind of like slowly but surely becomes her ally throughout this film and how he has his own little story of like He's he's somewhat working for David Bowie, but then he like eventually sides with uh, Sarah, and that's all good. Um, and then I I weirdly thought like there was kind of a surprisingly like poignant and like strong scene where like she thinks she, it was all a dream. She somehow ends up back in her room, um, her room, and then she realizes that no, she's still in this like garbage heap in the middle of the labyrinth, and like that creepy old lady puppet comes in. Yeah, dude. And the old lady <laughs> puppet is like kind of convincing her to like hoard her own things and like focus on the material stuff around her. Yeah. And like, she really has like a breakthrough where she's able to pull herself away from all the dolls and the books and you know, the everything that made up her life before that she wanted to focus on instead of her own uh, flesh and blood, like her own family and she's able to kind of pull herself out of that and uh, say, like, no, fuck this. Like, I need to go get my baby brother. Yeah. Um, which which is like a uh, an earned moment uh, of growth. Yeah, absolutely it is. And that part is so weird and creepy. That, not only that just because... That part was kind of genuinely scary almost. I was not like, just because happening the, here? Not because the old lady herself looks creepy, but it's just like she was turning her into one of the there's multiple of them that you can see in that scene mm-hmm. of just people just like holding on and hoarding their their prized possessions the right? creepy bit uh which i realized is like the the old lady puppet has like a weird kind of frantic energy that's kind of off-putting of her trying to like hoard a bunch of stuff but then you can also see in the glances that she gives jennifer Connolly that she has like ulterior motives that she's yeah. like spying on her for david bowie um, and that's where the, the creepiness comes in. It's so cool. Um, yeah. There's so many fucking creepy points, creepy yeah. spots in this movie. We talked about like the intro of the, when you first see the goblins and it's, there's so many of them and they're all just mm-hmm. brown and creepy looking. Um, like, and like there's, there's humor that cuts through that a little bit. Like There is. And that obviously softens it. But like upon first glance, it is really off-putting. If I was a kid, I'd shit my pants. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I wouldn't even be ashamed. I'd be like, yeah, I shit my pants. This isn't even a big thing. Like, look at that. Look at that. That's horrifying. Clean <laughs> clean this up, by the way. Um, apple, more apple juice, by the way. I'm out. That kind of thing. But um, yeah, there's, there's, there's multiple points. Like, even like Ludo's kind of creepy, like scary in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Is they didn't big? have, he didn't, they didn't have to make his face look so menacing, even though he is like a big, soft, you know, goofy kind of lovable oaf. The little like like, squirrel knight is like obviously comedic, but like kind of like scary, ugly in a way. Yeah. His eyes are are wild, man. He's got those. uh, These all look like taxidermied animals is a thing. Yeah. yeah, It's really weird. But yeah. So like in the intro kind of scene, when they're kind of like panning across her room, when she's kind of throwing her first temper tantrum, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, um, 
you can see all of the characters, every single one of them that she runs into, um, however secondary or minor they are, they're mm-hmm. all like in her present in her room mm-hmm. uh, in terms of just like uh, stuffed animals or whatever. Right. There's an obvious comparison to like Alice in Wonderland here yeah. um, with just like girl falling into her fantasy world and what's real versus what's just her dealing with issues. Um, and <laughs> I mean, not to like skip to the end, we're kind of just talking through the whole plot here, but <laughs> I loved the ending of this, how it's just like, she's like, was it all real? Uh, and she makes it back to her home and she gets her baby brother back. And then like, they basically like, <laughs> she just makes the choice to be like, yeah, it was all real. And then they all party in her room. Yeah. Like how it ends. Like, was this even real <laughs> or like, what's wrong with her now? They're yeah. in her mirror and she, they're like, you know what? We'll stay. It's fine. Um, I think, I think that's, that's, it's, it's a metaphor kind of a thing. You to think like, she's having a full psychotic break? She absolutely could. Um, it, it is a, crime scene at the house you know it, it's it's horrific you don't want to really see what's actually happening yeah it's, it's yeah. kind of a shutter island kind of kind of There's thing blood. that's happening yeah it's definitely blood bodies are floating but um i mean like I, I i see the ending as like um a metaphor of like it's okay to grow up and it's also okay to kind of like hold on to the comforts of your childhood you know mm-hmm. it's you don't have growing up doesn't mean you have to leave everything behind and I think that's a thing that a lot of kids, you know, I, I kind of did it too, of just like, I'm not a baby anymore. I don't need these toys or whatever. But now I'm just like, man, I really wish I would have held on to those toys or those videotapes longer or something like that, or taken better care of my things and that kind of stuff. And it's not to be like, like hoard your things and stay in that, that thing, but like, it's okay to grow up and it's okay to hold on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I don't know. That's why the, the, her initial characterization is kind of off-putting for me. Like, I, I want her to be trying to grow up, whereas when we meet her, she's just, like, fully in a fantasy world, and, like, there's no real talk of growing up, almost. Like, I, I want her to be almost, like, pulled back into her fantasy as a result of, like, falling into this underworld. Yeah. So, um, we've been kind of dancing around it, and, or I have, anyway, and I, I can't hold out any longer. I just want to dive into this insane theory uh that i got from tiktok yeah um i'll send you the video and we'll post it on our social channel because i can't remember the tiktoker's name and all this kind of stuff but it's this really neat theory that it you know the the motif of like the evil stepmother obviously Mm -hmm. you know like everyone hates their step parent or whatever like was a thing in the 80s and 90s they were always like the worst person but like you can see that like she's really not that bad Mm -hmm. of 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 a lady but there is this neat thing that someone pointed out. So uh, in Sarah's room, she obviously she has a Goblin King like statuesque type of little figurine. Mm-hmm. But also on her mirror, she has a picture of David Bowie, like either a performer who looks like David Bowie or whatever, a facsimile of him. Like actual person David Bowie. Yeah, but it looks like that. But with standing with a lady who isn't the stepmom, so the the theory is that like Sarah's real mother <gasps> left the family for oh a person who looks like David Bowie, which is why she vilifies him as the Goblin King, right? So that's why she has this disdain for her half brother, 
you know, like you came in here and ruined everything. Mm-hmm. Like you're not my real family. My mom left me for this handsome devil, but like who could blame her? So like the whole story that she goes through is like trying to prove to herself that she won't fall for a David Bowie like character like her mom did. You know? See, I dark I as fuck. That. I want that. Spend, spend, give me five more minutes of that. Like, I'll, I'll sit through the runtime. That's fine. But, like, isn't that so, like, that's way more adult and twisted than just like. That that would make so much more sense to me. I, I, again, like, it's, I, I feel like this movie was mainly about, like, building a story around these technical, like, impressive aspects. Um, and so it, the story itself is maybe a little, it comes off as a little, not like basic, but like uh, by the book almost. Like in yeah. terms of like, this is a general like growing up and uh, you start off hating your brother and you're going to end up appreciating your brother at the end. Um, but <laughs> nope. I think that more of the story here is the the uh, the physical and even the, the CGI bits uh, that are part of this movie is more of a showcase for that. <laughs> and it's also like, who knows how much money David Bowie sunk into this to, you know, get a movie with David Bowie or how much, yeah. How much money did he take away from it? Um, cool. So like actually, so speaking of CGI, uh, a lot of the effects were done practically in camera. Mm -hmm. One of the main ones that wasn't is that opening sequence with that terrible rendering of an owl. (laughs) Okay. So this is, let's, let's kind of get into like Muppet talk where we are transitioning to, to Muppet talk now. This movie very much felt like it was in an in-between space of like, we're pretty good at the physical um, puppetry. Let's see what we can do with this newfangled CGI stuff. I thought the owl was very much part of that. The owl looks like it's made out of uh, four crystals that are flapping together, which is fine. You know, we've all played around in Maya and Unity and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought... There were certain green screen, green screen moments in this movie that were horrendous. Um, yes. Like, even for 80s standards. And I'm wondering almost, like, what, what, what are your thoughts there? What were, what were your thoughts when you first, um, first saw this? And I think I'm talking specifically about the moment where she's uh, dancing around with the... The, the red and orange characters in the in the swamp and they're kind of like taking their heads off and throwing them around yeah there's like was... specific like is it like a reshoot thing they're trying out reshoots for the first time so uh jim henson was on record that like i really don't like how that scene turned out i almost cut it it's um but it's it's yeah. really fun a lot of work went into it so like the they're called they're called like the fiery gang or something mm-hmm. like that and the actual puppetry that went into it is insane Mm-hmm. Um, it was shot on like a black background and mm-hmm. all the care and all the puppeteers and stuff are like dressed in all black. And that's how they're able to like move their heads around in really interesting ways. It's really cool and super impressive, but I, yes, being, I guess you could, you could approach it from like, this is the first time where they're really showing like puppet legs in this way, uh, in this movie. And so you kind of have to have like the full body shot and you can't have a puppeteer right there. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they had to go with the green screen. I don't know if the technology was fully there yet. It, def- it definitely wasn't. Um, it was hurried or didn't quite get to, you know, Jim Henson's um, mm-hmm. per- perfection levels or whatever. But, you know, they just kind of had to do it. And it's a, it's a it's a rad song. 
that kind of stuff. It's a neat kind of break point. They almost, they really, he almost really cut it, but mm -hmm. uh, kept it because yeah, I agree. That one is the most like egregious. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, a lot of the other stuff that shows up there, there's not a lot of CGI. No. Um, uh, I mean, all like the rock stuff is, seems to be pretty physical. Right? It's all practical. Analog. They built multiple kind of like, platform sets for like the the scene at the end with the maze and all that kind of stuff where he's like mm -hmm. flipping up and down like all of that was practically done um like you can tell when she first arrives and he's like you have 13 hours to get to the center of the maze like you can tell that that is like a big painted backdrop mm -hmm. right but like it kind of feels real and all that kind of stuff it's um, interesting like yeah. it's interesting to think about the physical the practical effects versus like cgi effects and how those both have evolved in the time um between like 1985 and now because like i mean this has been talked to death but if you think about like the lord of the rings and the hobbit film series how like practical effects are so what make the lord of the rings series so good yeah then you have the hobbit films which seem more hurried and almost cheaper despite you know, having such larger budgets because oh, Peter Jackson relies on more CGI in those films, more uh, CGI background, CGI characters. And so it's almost like they've, they've both been given the same amount of time to evolve as an art form, but the practical effects are still more of a commanding presence on screen than anything that could be CGI. Unless uh -huh. it's like something like avatar where it's like, it's really like they're really leaning into CGI as like being as realistic as possible. Yeah. And like the, the tech, they were hindered by technology at the time and budget mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But like where this movie really shines is in the, the puppeteering, the Muppeteering, whatever mm -hmm. of just like making it just feel so unique. And it's really impressive. You mm -hmm. know, the, um, the, uh, the, the tunnel of, uh, of molestation as Ryan calls it. Uh, with the hands and everything. Like, oh my God, I love that. I had a note about that. I liked how the hands made faces. Yeah, right? And it, like in really interesting ways as opposed to just like, rant, rant, rant. like mm. they made like a mustache kind of like with two hands. Like, like it'd be really so cool. easy just to like put googly eyes on a hand and call it a day, but like all of them were different and it's like there's like six hands for each face. It's really cool. There was 700 people in that shaft. Two, 150 live hands, 75 people, 200 foam rubber hands. Like, all of it handmade, meticulously crafted, like insane amounts of things. And, you know, um, all, all, all of the performance from like having a puppet being like radio controlled on top of an actual dog, mm -hmm. you know, is really cool. But also having knowing when to use the puppet dog like is really cool for close up shots. And the, the it's, it's a technological triumph from a practical standpoint in my opinion for the 80s and there were there were cgi elements that i think were successful in this film even though it's like it's much stronger on the practical side of things but like there's one specific moment where hoggle is like opening and closing a door and it like leads to different areas every time he like it's kind of like Howl's moving castle like he like turns it one way and it opens and it's a different door than the other i'm assuming that was a cgi effect Practical, practical. Man. They're, they're practical. just moving the set back and forth or something. Yeah, like it's all practical. Like it's all theater stuff. Like, oh, I totally thought that was like they're they're putting up a green screen behind that. No, dude. Like it. That was not the. That wasn't the go to. Well, that's egg this. on my face. Absolutely, it is. Like, they got me. Oh, uh, like, uh, so like 
it that wasn't a go-to at the time as it is now of just like oh we'll just throw them on a green screen and we'll deal with it later in post yeah. it was just like how can we creatively solve this problem with real tools and real things that we have at our disposal and that's why like i tip my hat to this movie because there there's so much that they did the 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 four guards you know uh, the one always tells the truth one always lies that kind of thing is really impressive the door knockers blows my mind that mm-hmm. like the amount of articulation in the faces is really cool, but like it's a puppet, you know, like it's crazy. I think between this and between um, Little Shop of Horrors and just uh, knowing all the movies that we know in 2023, it's you can almost conclusively say like there's strengths and weaknesses to both like CGI effects and uh, practical effects, but practical effects at its strongest is always going to look better and be more interesting than CGI effects at its strongest, in my opinion. Yeah. And really pull off a practical effect. People are always drawn to that. And yeah, because of that fact, practical effects last longer Mm -hmm. in the general psyche of people who talk about movies. Like there's always like, Oh, that was a really cool fight scene or whatever. That was a really cool like space fight scene. But like the things Mm -hmm. that people still talk about to this day are like the practical effects of like the fight scene from captain America and the winter soldier, you know, Mm -hmm. like, or, um, but you know, the, on the opposite side of the spectrum, and you already talked about of, um, uh, avatar, you know, when you lean that hard into it and you're actually breaking ground and creating new creative ways, but using technology, it is a feat in and of itself. Um, but a lot of the time it falls flat when it's just all done with computers and you're kind of just left with like, Bleh. yeah, I mean, it's cause the uncanny Valley is bigger when it comes to CGI effects. There's more of a chance that this is going to almost get there, but ultimately look insane and creepy. Yeah. Um, so on the, on the opposite side of the uncanny Valley, let's do the polar opposite and look at the uncanny bulge, the concave. <laughs> and let's talk about David Bowie for a second. Let's talk about the David Bowie of it all. Um, Joe, uh, have, have you been, are you a David Bowie fan? And if so, how long have you been said fan? I am a surface level Bowie fan. Great. I, I know his hits. I I know little about his life or his 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 deep cuts. Yeah. Um, um, I knew he was in Labyrinth. I know Stranger Thing. I know A Life on Mars. Um, and that's pretty much it. I know he yeah. plays Tesla in um uh fuck the the magic movie the magic 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 mike yeah no <laughs> uh, the prestige Ma- no we're we're going to say magic mike is yes. the answer um plays death and magic mike it's <laughs> <laughs> like a blink and you'll miss it moment uh this that's great um yeah i was i'm similar kind of kind of a thing like i know uh-huh. the hits uh i'm not like a die hard bowie fan but like dude was rad you know he you know broke through so many Mm -hmm. um molds throughout his insane career um my first real exposure to him was zoolander oh yeah where he has that cameo i was like oh that's who david bowie is like is he like moderating their runway walk off or something yeah it's a walk off yeah he's judging (laughs) and it's hilarious and i was like okay that's who david bowie is but like um 
Yeah, I, I too knew knew the hits: Ziggy Stardust, Space Oddity, Let's Dance, Fame, Heroes Under Pressure, all that kind I, of stuff. I mean, you know him as kind of like an androgynous figure, which very much fits into this labyrinth world, right? It's like, I mean, one of one of my bigger notes is that I have no fucking idea what Jareth wants throughout this whole movie because he it starts off where he it kind of seems like he wants the baby to like turn him into a little goblin protege and it's like okay standard stuff but then like it becomes a weird phantom of the opera thing where like he's focused more on sarah and kind of wants her in a way yeah the whole um, and then ending, by the end of it yeah he kind of represents her selfishness and she like exorcises him out of her into the ether um, yeah yeah it's it's like, wild yeah so like what what is he as a character? We, I don't we do know. need the Jareth backstory. That's why I think like the theory that he is like a facsimile for the man that her real mom left the yeah. family for of just like I, I don't know, like it's weird, right? It's kind of icky. He's <laughs> kind of he's he's a metaphor. He's a he's a force out in this world that's against her to help her learn things. He's an enigma for sure. His um, little his little he has little comedic moments because he's this whole movie is surrounded by little puppet goblins. And like, he kind of has these moments where he'll say something and then like, tell them to laugh. That's uh, my favorite part. Something funny. That's my absolute favorite <laughs> part. He's laughing and they don't, he's like, well, laugh. And it's so fucking funny. Uh, he, it, it was great. Um, but yeah, so the first time I actually heard David Bowie's name will mm-hmm. come up later during the end games. Oh so put a pin God. in that. Um, yeah, so let's talk about the music for a second. We already talked about how he recorded five original songs for the film, uh, Underground, which plays for some reason back to back in the beginning. It's over the opening credits. And then when she's running home, when she's like, oh my God, it's late. They played the same song again. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's really weird and I don't know why, but, um, magic dance, dance, Mm -hmm. magic dance. Chili Down, that's the song where she's playing with the bad the bad looking scene with the heads swapping and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, As the World Falls Down, which is the slow dance uh, ballroom scene, which is my favorite scene, my favorite song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Within You, which is the last song that he sings to her in the the, the maze kind of thing. The, the uh, Escher bit. Yeah, so those, those songs absolutely slap. Uh, there were music videos created for Underground and As the Worlds Fall, As the World Falls Down. Super cool. I love it. You know? Justin, um, due to us being on episode seventeen of yeah. the podcast, I think like we, you know, we have built up a rapport enough for me to like be honest uh, when we we talk about movies. I think all of the songs in this movie are cringy and bad. <gasps> yeah, I mean, I think they're great, though. They're, they still fit the movie. Tell me more about the cringe. Tell me more. I, 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 I can only it. talk about them in comparison to Little Shop of Horrors, where I thought the songs were great and catchy. Yeah. But I will, I will say, me, I'm not a, a musical person as a human being uh can't carry a tune to save my life i like catchy songs and i don't know if i got that from this movie it felt very much like the song version of david bowie mumbling through things (laughs) multiple times i i don't i couldn't i couldn't recall a song maybe i need to go back and listen yeah i know the babe with the power bit yeah 
which is a callback to like an old Casablanca or something like that. But like, really cool. Is it really? There's something like that. It's one of those old movies. It's a it's a neat thing. It's like you remind me of the whoever. Like it's a really neat thing. Check see, it out. See, I'm already learning more. And it's, this is this is why we have this podcast is to make ourselves more cultured. It's a hundred percent it, and I hope you feel so. Speaking of cultured, and I teased this towards the end of the last episode that we love a bit, and I'm watching the clock, Joe, because I know you told me a very specific time frame. Um, well, we don't have to keep the time frame. <laughs> I meant to spread it out more, like I joked. Um, but we said we were going to go watch this in person. Oh God! At the oh, yeah. Atlanta. Center for Puppetry Arts. We were going to go experience it, and we were going to like tour and look through the real-life Muppets that are there on uh, uh, on the premises and the history of puppets and all this was, kind of stuff. It was going to be a whole moment. And we were going to be surrounded by fans, much like when we went to go see uh, Moulin Rouge, right? Yeah. Um, which I can only imagine that's how it was, people singing along, loving that kind of stuff. You would have gotten a much bigger appreciation for the movie, I bet. We Had were we seen it in going to support the arts. Uh, we definitely were. Uh, uh, Uncultured Cinematic Universe support the arts. Uh, we love NPR here too. Um, but Joe, you took that away from us. <laughs> <laughs> you fuck. So, like maybe four days before we were scheduled to go see this at the Atlanta Center for Puppetry Arts. Um, my household had to book tickets to go to Texas of all places for uh, unspecified reasons. And I had to text Justin as such and break his heart um, because Justin didn't have any other friends that he could see Labyrinth with on a Saturday. Everyone else was busy or like, nah, I don't want to go. <laughs> and I, you know, like, my daughter's too young for babysitters and stuff like that. Like, we really just don't trust babysitters, period, uh, at this point. She's too young. Yeah, that'd be a lot. So, like, Ryan and I couldn't go, which would have been awesome. We would have loved to, but, like, eh. And, I'm, and we're obviously not going to drag a one-and-a-half-year-old to go watch an hour-and-a-half movie with David Bowie fucking thrusting at the camera, you know? I, I texted you to, to see if Ryan just, like, wanted my ticket, and you responded with, Joe, we have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> which i maybe forgot about in that moment it's fine it's okay uh she'll never let you live it live it down yeah um, um but yeah so that's fine like i think you would have gotten a different flavor for the movie if the quality of this episode is a little bit down it's my fault because we didn't <laughs> get to experience this movie in person i will give out joe's personal instagram and email address and you guys can just send him hate mail never know um that actually is a nice little segue into a note that i have is that i ended up watching this movie on a service called pluto tv Mm. i don't know if you're familiar it was like the free version of the movie which came with commercials and i swear to god they timed the commercials to the funniest fucking moments like she goes through the the door with like the truth and the lies uh she opens it and immediately falls through a trap door and like she her hands are still in the air free frame commercial <laughs> about activia <laughs> i love it oh jamie lee curtis what are you doing yeah i, I love was it. laughing that's so great oh, i love that God. that's so fun okay so you got kind of like the made-for-TV version of it, which is I great. did. I, it, it felt almost right in that way to watch this with commercials. It felt very old school. It felt very <laughs> 80s and 90s. 
I, where I think you missed was, you know, getting to have that shared experience, like we talked about with Moulin Rouge. Like, even though the sound was messed up and it wasn't quite exactly what we wanted it to be, the energy that surrounded the room. And I think we could have had that at the Puppetry Arts. I think, Center. no, I think any time we cover, like, a quote-unquote cult film, we should probably go and try and see it with a crowd because, like, that's where the strength of those films really is... Um, at play, right? Yeah. Um, that's where those those movies really like shine the brightest is in a crowd of people who appreciate it after the fact, you know? Yeah, like uh, an example I can think of is, like you said, like Purple Rain. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the first time I saw Purple Rain was at the plaza surrounded by people who grew up with it and loved that movie and I had never seen it before and I was like, oh man, this is really, this is really cool. But like watching it later, I was just like, this is... I'm not quite as into it as I as I was before, but yeah. Anytime we we have the the stars that align, and mm-hmm. which they so rarely do, which you robbed us of that moment, you fucking Judas. Yeah. But um, it's what fun. if I didn't actually go to Texas? I just didn't I know. Out. Wouldn't you love it if I ran into you at the grocery store and just like, oh hey Joe, and you're like. <laughs> Hey, I have to like. I'm in Texas. I right talked to plan about how the plane uh, <laughs> went down, and the CIA is making me not tell anyone. Yeah, we saw. <laughs> we came across an alien spacecraft, but like, I'm not supposed to tell you. But like, we had to go home, and we're waiting for their instruction. Justin, they know that you know now. You have to get out of here. <laughs> then it turns into a Jason Bourne movie. I love it. Um, Cool. So before we wrap up, do you have any other further thoughts? Cocktail, or... Cocktails. Cocktails. Oh, fucking what cocktails. Drinking? What are you drinking? Oh, I'm drinking. Okay, so check this out. You really can't see it, but I took a really great picture. Um, I don't know if you can tell. I have like circular. Did you also go the David Bowie ball route? I did go the David Bowie ball route. Yeah. So what this is, this is red kind of fiery kind of color stuff. This is based on the scene that you hate so much. Um, this is called a don't lose your head. Mm-hmm courtesy of Ryan. She came up, she's my muse. She's everything. She's wonderful. I love her so much. Yes, we love this Ryan. two and a half ounces of fireball. Oh shit. Half an ounce of sparkle syrup. Remember the sparkle syrup? It's coming back. A okay. uh, couple dashes of orange bitters, splash of grenadine, splash of sour mix. And, but the, the big, the big thing in here is the ice crystal balls because uh-huh. it's a crystal, nothing more. I, I, I would watch a 30 part miniseries on like how he was able to move those little crystal balls um, around his hands. So tangent, definitely. tangent wasn't him. The scene in the bedroom where he's doing the, uh, huh. Uh-huh. There was a, uh, a master juggler. It's someone like reaching their hands up between Behind. his shoulders. Yeah. Oh, a master, okay. a master juggler. Hang on. What's his name? Let me fucking look it up. His name was, uh, yeah. Oh, no, I didn't write it down. Um, but yeah, so uh, he calls it contact juggling and did it entirely behind Bowie's back, essentially blind. That's because like because like his face was like in his shoulder blades doing that, and so cool. I did like all the effects with the balls. Um, that does kind of lead into <laughs> lead into my drink. This is a pretty simple one, um, but the key is in the ice. So this is what I'm calling a subtle bulge. Um, <laughs> It is, it's um, just a simple like gin and ginger ale and a little shot of lime juice. But the ice is like this big globular um, hunk in like that we made from like one of those like, you know, you can like form ice into a perfect uh, 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 sphere Mm -hmm. thing. 
Uh, and uh, I'm naming it Subtle Bulge in honor of, obviously, Bowie's Bulge, where you can kind of always see one of them uh, yeah, just out there. a little bit. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's and so the, I think the drink is roughly the color of his pants in this movie, so that's what I'm going for. That's, this is where the, the trend of gray sweatpants was born. Mm. People look back in their history and they're like, how do we accomplish this? Truly subtly? gray sweatpants uh, cinema. Yeah, this, this absolutely is. Um, any, any other final thoughts here before we get to the end games? Joe? Yeah, I, I did have a note. I mean, we don't really have time to go into this, but like we're obviously talking about, I've said it like the, the ugly, creepy, dirty side of public puppet technology this, this week. We'll talk about, uh, the slightly prettier side next episode. Um, but I, I thought it was interesting how particularly in like the seventies, eighties, nineties, um, Henson and crew went one way with this kind of like uh, brownish uh, skin on top of robotics technology and someone like David Cronenberg took it an entirely different direction, but still with that same technology. And so it's like, it's interesting to see how close movies like Labyrinth, which are essentially for kids are to like, body horror like if you look closely yeah, at something dude. like hoggle like he's got a pretty terrifying face even though he's just yeah. kind of like a little gnome guy yeah i really don't like the look of hoggle's face his deep mm-hmm. craters and folds and there there's so much like texture to these movies they're not afraid to like get dirty and get kind of ugly with it um and it's it's interesting how like multiple multiple filmmakers were doing different things with that technology at the time. That was kind of like the big thing is like, what can we really do with these practical effects and how are we advancing this technology as opposed to like really diving into CGI? Yeah. I, I, I love that you brought up David Cronenberg because yeah, he was the master of body horror and practical effects mm-hmm. and uh, same with like John Carpenter, like the, mm-hmm. the thing, yep. you know, like yep. so cool. The, like the same amount, the same ingredients really, can just yield such wildly different results on opposite sides of the spectrum of like family friendly and just nightmare inducing. It's it's kind of like I'll add a third genre onto what we talked about earlier. Like it's sci-fi, it's fantasy, and it's horror. Like which way, which direction are you going to go with this uh, practical technology? Yeah, you could take any one of those characters and they could like swap into any one of the films and it would still mm-hmm. kind of work. Like Hoggle would work in a horror film mm-hmm. as like, Absolutely. Uh, He's like a little leprechaun guy. Yeah, like the leprechaun. It, it, without just like not putting makeup on, like if uh, uh, fucking what's his name wasn't available. Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis wasn't available because he's yeah. off doing whatever. And like yeah. you just make a facsimile of it and robot that like it would work. He's Perfect. doing Willow, which, by the way, was my like uh, labyrinth uh, essentially growing up. Oh. Like uh, we were we were a Willow family so and yeah. a little bit never ending story, which I feel needs to be mentioned here. Yep, yep, you're right. I've watched, I've saw, I've seen both of those growing up, um, but not to the point of just like, I love these movies. I was just like, yep, one's enough. Why were people <laughs> obsessed with like deeply metaphorical swamps in the 80s? See, those, okay, so those were like latent, late baby boomers, early Gen Xers, and they had a lot to say, you know? They had a lot to explore and say. <laughs> so, Joe, um, last bit here, you know we talked about some Easter eggs and the music and some standout scenes and stuff. This movie is just cemented in cult status because of, you know, there's, there's a lot of trauma that goes through this movie, you know, especially when you dig into that really fucking cool theory 
mm-hmm. of the stepmom and real mom, like that kind of stuff. And it, but this is just a movie about growing up. With, you know? I mean, like we said it, like with any Alice in Wonder Wonderland esque movie, you have to see like what in this fantasy world is just a reflection of her real life. You know, yeah. like where what is she projecting here? Yeah, what is really going on uh, behind behind those eyes? What's really going on in the writers' room? What kind of trauma are they going through? Where they're like, I fucking hate my mom. <laughs> <laughs> she left the family for this sexy man. <laughs> And he's a goblin. He's so sexy. And all I remember is just his bulging pants. You know, like, what in the world? Anyway. Any more thoughts on uh, the the dream dance sequence? I feel like we haven't covered that enough. Did, did you have any thoughts on that? There, so in that, uh, again, that, that video, they talk about, uh, and even still, I think in the behind the scenes too, um, again, like the whole story is Sarah is a fish out of water. But in that scene specifically, that's when she kind of runs into more human characters. Mm-hmm. But it's a masquerade, yeah. which is littered in in metaphor and stuff like that as well. But like, they're all adults, and she's obviously not an adult, but she's trying to blend in by dressing mm-hmm. as such. But like, you can tell like they're just getting ready for something. They're ready to have a weird night, is all I'll say. Yeah, you know, uh, at that party, and like Bowie is Bowie's coming for her, right? And it's really weird. Where would but I love it? Oh, yeah, my one note about that scene. I knew I had a note. I would give it all to David Bowie at this Eyes Wide Shut ball. That yes. Was, that was my note. <laughs> yep. He's, I would. he's really working it at that ball. Like I I'd would... love that scene so much that he's, she like, there's just near misses, right? Yeah. He walks by and he, or she walks by and he's he's just there and like watching her and it's, it's so great. Vibes, vibes, vibes. It's vibes and it's sexual and it's electric. I love it. Um, I, I just got to I got to wrap up my notes with just like funny moments that I had when the the cleaner, the terrifying like metal thing goes past them and they realize it's just like four little puppets driving it on like pedals. That <laughs> yeah, was funny. I like that. Um, and then the, the little squirrel night guy just shouting Ambrosius whenever the dog would run away from him. Like for some reason, him shouting the word Ambrosius is so funny. That's the dog's name. Um, Ambrosia and... is the or Ambrosius is the dog's name. Yes. Um, and then uh, the rock sequence in the goblin town where the rocks come and save them. My one note was this is Return of the King and the rocks are the army of the dead. It was very much like a deus ex machina. Like, 100%. Yeah. Send in the rocks. <laughs> send in the rocks, guys. Just shoot it backwards. Like, it's totally fine. It'll look like it's uh, rolling all over the place. Hilarious. Oh my and God, they shot it backwards. That makes so much sense. We didn't talk about the bog of eternal stench, but that's okay. We'll talk about it later. So, Swamp. Joe. It's just a stinky fart swamp, you know. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess that that's all there is to talk about that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I had a lot of time for this end game. Um, I really took my time with the music and everything. So I really hope you enjoy this. And uh, I got a fun game for you, Joe. Are you ready? I am so ready. Okay, <laughs> buckle up. Such a simple game of questions and such no need to worry. We'll cause a fuss this time it's true. I thought of you for this interview. 
It's so subtle, but it's not. Okay. For those of you who are just listening to this episode, <laughs> what we just witnessed was very impressive text graphics, by the way. I really like that. Uh, the name of the game is Escape the Bulge. Um, a, uh, a, a, a um, Ken Burns effect slideshow of David <laughs> Bowie Bulge, just kind of going in and out. <laughs> yep. Yeah, uh, multiple scenes. Um, There's a lot of them. Justin, lay it, lay it on me. Are you ready? Okay. So there's a little bit of fresh air this time around, Joe. Uh, the past few games that we've played have always been kind of, or just have kind of trended towards choose your own adventure. They're getting a little intense. Yeah. A little, a little out of hand with a lot of plot and circumstance and stuff like that. Yeah. And I really, really wanted to do like a labyrinth-inspired choose your own adventure with twists and turns intrigue and like uh those kinds of riddles and things like that it's so much to write down and of course just like sexy rock star stuff to throw you off the the course but i figured let's just do just a simple trivia based game see, see thank you thank you right and so this is just a mix of movie music and general muppet trivia multiple choices always i love it you ready there's 10 so uh number one in the earlier part of the film Sarah is shown reciting lines from her beloved Labyrinth book. The line that play, that line plays a big role in the ultimate defeat of the Goblin King in the film's climax. And how does it go again? You have no blank over me. You have no control over me. You have no power over me. You have no influence over me. Or you have no crotch over me. I knew there was going to be a bulge one. Um, you want me to say crotch. It's power. I want you to say crotch. So you hard. have no power over me, Justin. Love it. You got it, Joe. Well done. Uh, let me bold it because you got it right. Uh, number two, David Bowie was an icon, revered for his pioneering and innovative musical career. Joe, what was his birth name? Is it David Robert Jones? Is it Danny James Bowden? Is it Don Riley Jones? Or is it Richard Enormous? <laughs> Dick Enormous. Um, um, give, me, give me the third one again. Don Riley Jones. I'm going to say Don Riley Jones. You'd be wrong. Ah, fuck. Uh, real name is David Robert Jones. He's Davy Jones, which is pretty fun. He's also Davy Jones? Right? Is the monkey funny. guy... Isn't the guy from the monkeys also Davy Jones? Yeah, but that's like his given name, I think. I don't know. So that's why he probably changed it. I don't know. I'll take my answer off the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, the Muppet movies have a long-standing history of featuring a bevy of colorful and cheeky celebrity cameos, as I'm sure you're sure uh, aware. Uh, who of the following has not had a cameo in a Muppet or Muppet-adjacent film? So not like the TV show. Not the TV show. Okay. Rob Schneider, Ricky Gervais, James Earl Jones, or Dirk Diggler? Who, who has not had a cameo? I'm going to say... James Earl Jones. That's correct. You're right. Oh, okay, I was so scared. All right, what is I'll... Rob Schneider in? Uh, I think he was in Muppets in Space. Okay. Uh, so yeah, James Earl Jones, although is famously regarded, or he is famously regarded as the first Sesame Street celeb guest 
1978. So that's yeah. what I was scared about because I have a picture in my mind of like him with Muppets, but I think it's the TV show. Yeah, you're right. So well done, Joe. You thought it through. Okay, so number four. This sadly was Jim Henson's final theatrical movie movie that he directed. Oh no. Which of the following movies did he actually direct? So three of these he didn't direct, but one of them he actually did direct. Wait, wait. You're saying this is her final this is his final one? The final movie he directed, yeah. Oh, okay. I Jim got Henson. Jim Henson. I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay, which of these following movies did Jim Henson actually direct? Is it The Muppet Movie, The Muppet Movie, mm-hmm. The Great Muppet Caper, The Muppets Take Manhattan, or The Muppet Christmas Carol? Which of those did he direct? I'm going to say the, hmm, the Muppet Movie is the first one, so I might say that. You'd be incorrect. He did not direct the first Muppet movie. He directed The Great Muppet Caper, which was the follow-up. I haven't seen that one. It was pretty cool. Um, well, it's great, but it's pretty cool. Uh, number five, David Bowie appeared in a number of films throughout his career. Which movie did he play the role of enigmatic futurist Nikola Tesla? Joe, is it The Illusionist? Now You See Me? Is it The Prestige? Or is it The Hungover? <laughs> it's the prestige as stated by myself earlier in this episode i know i was so mad you said it. i was so mad you said it <laughs> all right number six while this movie doesn't feature muppets of either the muppet show or sesame street universes the goblins and various critters and monsters are of the jim henson creature shop uh-huh. now if this movie were to collide with the og muppet show universe it would surely suffer its share of chiding and jeers from the audience like you namely let you see namely two famous muppet show muppets what are the names of this iconic famous heckling duo hmm. is it statler and waldorf is it statham and walden <laughs> is it Str- <laughs> is it stratton and wallace or is it stiffy and ding dong <laughs> It's Statler and Waldorf. Well done, you did it. Now I do want a buddy cop film about Jason Statham and Christopher Walken. <laughs> That'd be great. The fucking Steph. Um, all right, number seven. Towards the climax of the film, Sarah encounters Jareth in an interesting, crazy set piece inspired by a famous Dutch graphic artist renowned for his mathematical and tessellation influences. Who was it? Is it F.C. Esther? Is it M.C. Escher? Is it N.C. Eicher or is it M. Donghammer? It would be DJ M.C. Escher. You're right. It totally would be. Well done, Joe. I knew you had it in you all along. Number eight, David Bowie released an insane amount of music uh, upon the world during his prolific career, including 26 studio albums, 21 live albums, 46 compilation albums, 10 EPs, 128 singles, three soundtracks, and 12 box sets. Also released 28 video albums, and 72 music videos, the man could fucking get it. Oh numerous God. numerous amounts of his songs have been covered by a myriad of artists over the years. Mm-hmm. Who famously covered his song, The Man Who Stole the World, in 1993? Was it Pearl Jam? Was it Smashing Pumpkins? Was it Nirvana? Or was it Codpiece? I think it's Nirvana. Oh, my God, Joe. I love that. Yes, it is correct. Hell yeah. That was my previous like little tidbit that I uh, released earlier or that I you know talked about earlier in the show. Uh, that was the first time I heard David Bowie's name. At the end of the song, 
Kurt Cobain goes, that was a David Bowie song. And it's great. I need to revisit. I think I've heard that song. Yeah, it's amazing. You you know, you've, you've heard it. I have like a ghost of it on my mind right now. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I'll go listen. Yeah. All right. Number nine. Again, the Muppets have featured a ton of famous celebrity guests, uh, hosts, cameos, and the like. What EGOT winner won an Emmy for her guest hosting spot on The Muppet Show? Was it Rita Moreno, Whoopi Goldberg, Mel Brooks, or Ron Jeremy? Okay, well, I would say, ooh, shit. Um, I think it's Rita. Oh my god! Well done, Joe. Is you, it really? It yeah, a hundred percent. It was. You're doing so good. You've only missed one so far. Have I really? Yeah. Oh my god, Joe! I'm really impressed. All hey, right, plus. So, so here we are. Uh, the last question. Um, let's see. Number ten. David Bowie's Jareth is indeed a sight to behold. <gasps> During his immaculate but limited screen time, he dons some mystifying and jaw-dropping costumes. Yeah. How many costumes exactly does he wear throughout the film? Is it 9, 10, 11, or 8 equals equals capital D? <laughs> Very nice. Um, I don't even think he's in 11 scenes in this film um i'm gonna say shit 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 i'm gonna say 10 oh well done joe you got it 10 is it unique, really 10 unique outfits he wears Aha! isn't that amazing we did it joe you 11 if you count the owl right right am i right well yeah you escaped you successfully escaped the bulge joe how does it feel? <laughs> it was great being in the bulge, but I feel like it's time to get out of the bulge. Um, Sometimes you got to get out of the bulge. And I feel like that's what David Bowie's testicles were saying this entire film. I So the, the logo, the text treatment that you mentioned in the video, mm -hmm. uh, I lifted from like a screen grab of a t-shirt from season two of uh, Parks and Rec, where <laughs> they go to the gay bar, the only gay bar in Pawnee called bulge. The Bulge. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Bulge is a gay bar? Oh, the nights I've wasted there. It's so good. If I had a stripper name, it would be Equality. <laughs> Joe, this was Labyrinth. Um, even though you you said this movie could have been improved in multiple ways, what did you take away from it, ultimately? I will, I will say your rendition of uh, or cover of David Bowie's song as part of this game makes me appreciate it more. I realize that is the one song I did like from this movie. Um, the other ones are trash. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, this has always been a, a piece of culture that I have missed. I never really knew what the deal was with Labyrinth. Like, I... I uh, you see the... But you've seen the deal now. So yes. you get the deal. Yes. The, the whole picture, full Monty. Um... um I I appreciate at the very least that I am able to see the formative years of Jennifer Connelly icon. Yeah. Um and I'm looking forward to the inevitable Disney Plus 8 episode miniseries of Labyrinth uh, the, the Rise of Jared. <laughs> yeah. The Rise of Jared. Yeah. Goblin Prince. Uh played by Harry Styles. I'd love it. Oh, that 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 would actually make a lot of sense. That would work. Oh man. Um 
before we end out, um, let's oh yeah, we want to tease the about, next. Yeah, let's talk about Muppet Mayhem. So uh, this episode, we t- kind of talked about the grittier side of Muppet technology. I'm gonna I'm gonna lead us towards uh, more comedic and frivolous shores with um, uh, Muppet Treasure Island oh. uh, next episode. So when we talk about the Muppets, like the actual team of Kermit the Frog and friends, this is the movie that I have probably seen the most. A lot of people would say Muppet Christmas Carol. That was kind of an iconic one, but I've weirdly seen Treasure Island more than any of the other ones. And I am really excited to talk about it because it is a zany film. I'm I'm so stoked to like put another checkbox in my Tim Curry verse. Oh Um, my God. Yeah. We have to talk about, and we'll just put a pin in this and we'll hold ourselves accountable to talk about like the, the, the litmus test that you run on people of like, where do you know Tim Curry from? Mm-hmm. When you mm-hmm. say when you picture Tim Curry in your mind, what's the earliest memory you have of him? Like, we'll talk okay. about that later. Remind me to talk about that during the next episode because you're not going to believe where I know Tim Curry. <laughs> you're not going to believe it. How's that for clickbait? Anyway, <laughs> this has been the Uncultured Cinematic Universe. Check us out on all the stuff. I'm not going to say it again. You can just rewind and go back to the beginning. Anyway, uh, Joe, see you later, everyone. Uh, bye. Bye.